I have spent way too many hours on airplanes. I don't know how many hundreds of thousands of miles I have logged on airplanes. And there is a grand total of zero times, zero, that I have stuck my head in the cockpit and told the pilots how to fly the plane. Just because I go on an airplane a lot doesn't mean I know how to fly it. And for some reason in my world, in this world of corporate storytelling, people think they know better and they don't. From cave drawings to family histories to stories around the fire, humans crave order among chaos, connection amid isolation. So we tell stories. Our mission at the Storytellers Network is to bring the art of story to the masses. Whether you're in marketing, you're an entrepreneur, or you're developing your own personal brand, telling your story effectively can make the difference between celebrating milestones and collecting unemployment. The Storytellers Network strives to help storytellers tell their stories so you can learn from the best. Now, your host, Dan Moyle. Welcome to the show. This is the Storytellers Network podcast, as you just heard, and I am Dan Moyle. And I believe in the power of story. I believe in it because it connects us. I believe in it because it moves us. It educates us. It is so extremely powerful. And so many of us are storytellers and don't realize it. In fact, as my guest today says, I think basically everybody is a storyteller. So I'm excited to bring you this guest real quick before I get to the conversation and who this is and everything else. A quick reminder, like I do, my website is where all of the resources are to help you tell a better story. There are resources there from me, from others. There are past interviews. It's an amazing library of great stuff that I think you will enjoy. So go to the storytellersnetwork.com for that. If you're listening to this uh, and some other platform, it's at the storytellersnetwork.com. So today's guest is a, is, is faculty adjunct lecturer at Northwestern University outside of Chicago. Uh, he's in the, the Farley Center for Entrepreneurship and Innovation. He's also a podcaster, an entrepreneur, and so much more, uh, a founder of several companies. I invited Brian Burkhart to join me for this educational storytellers episode because of his education background there that I just mentioned, but also uh, his speaking that he does and just everything that, that came through in his email to me, I just thought I had to invite this guy on. He's, uh, he's the chief word guy at Square Planet, an agency that helps its clients tell better stories in presentations, at events, and more. Brian's the founder and a hell of a storyteller, as you will hear. So let's get to those stories. Brian, welcome to the Storytellers Network. Thanks for taking time. As we were talking offline, you're in Phoenix, so you're taking time out of the sunshine to join me indoors. So thanks, man. I will give you some of my vitamin D, Daniel. I'm here for you, man. It is so perfect this time of year out here. <laughs> awesome. Uh, so I want to know, first of all, uh, I think I have the answer to this based on your email that you sent me. Uh, yes. are, do you consider yourself a storyteller, Brian? A thousand percent. I'll tell you a quick story. And that is my mother was disappointed me with me for years and years because she couldn't say my son, the attorney, since I was a little guy, everyone told me, you're going to make a great attorney someday. And I remember not too many years ago, I said, mom, I don't think you get it. I'm really okay. I'm really good. I've got a great couple of businesses. I'm rocking and rolling. And what I am is a professional storyteller. And she looked at me like I was crazy and didn't understand the depth of what that really meant. But uh, yeah, people that are storytellers, we're artists. We, yeah. we make the world go. We make people better and connect things in ways that just wouldn't be the same without us. So I'm very proud of being a storyteller. Absolutely. Yeah. And where do you think you recognize that? Like, did that start young for you? 
that you knew? No that? Yeah, I think I knew the power of communication at a very early age. I, I remember very distinctly running for student council president mm -hmm. at Oak Ridge Elementary School in a little Chicago suburb, a place called Palos Hills. And I was in fifth grade and in sixth grade, I would have been the president. And so here I am as a little guy, and by little, I mean short in stature. I am still rare, relatively short. <laughs> but I remember being in front of the whole class, the whole school, I should say, whole school. And I walked up to the lectern, grabbed the gooseneck mic, pulled it down as far as it would go, and I won the election right then in that moment. <laughs> so, I have no idea what my speech was about, but I knew right then. I knew I could see the audience change. I could see the power of communications. And right then and there, I knew I won. Well, I did. And that was really the first moment as a kid where I knew, man, this is something. And so I was never going to be big enough to be an amazing athlete or smart enough to be, uh, you know, the next Einstein. But I could tell a story. I could put some words together. And it, it was the thing that defined me. And is there a difference between that kind of storytelling and, let's say, creating a presentation uh, like, uh, like you do or writing your book that you wrote? Is yeah. there how? So, so first question is, are those different? Uh, that is uh, perhaps the million dollar question. And, and I, sh I tell you this, and I'm sure you already know, and all those that listen would know, at its core, it's typically the same methodology repeated over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. The different use cases uh, will require us to tweak the way that narrative is created and ultimately distributed. But ultimately, the work that I do is always based on a few things. It always starts with an amazing, well-codified, clear core belief as Simon Sinek would say, start with why, then we get into how and what interceded throughout is the idea of answering three very important questions. And that is, what do you want the audience to know with a K? What do you want them to feel? And what do you want them to do? That all comes from Aristotle, Plato, Socrates. Those guys talked about ethos, pathos, and logos, but that's a little weird for 2019, 2020. <laughs> and so that notion of starting with why, going how to what, interceded with no feel and do, you do that no matter what, a screenplay, a video, a live presentation, an email, a job interview, a corporate website, you name it. If you follow that methodology, you will be effective. And is that kind of what it comes down to storytelling for you is to get people to, to feel? Uh, I would tell you that's a great question. What I want people to do is to understand. Uh, mm -hmm. I have realized that the majority of my job, the thing that I do on a regular basis, is we create parallel paths, whether it's uh, through metaphor, simile, whether it's through visual design, whether it's through uh, helping people take really detailed stuff and uh, adding some element to make it more uh, easily digested. My job is to create a narrative on behalf of my clients that people can understand easily. So sometimes we'll tell a story uh, that could be incredibly complex. I mean, think things like uh, finance, healthcare, you name it. And we'll use the most basic, simple, almost childlike uh, story to help tell that tale. And, and that's really what this is. In, in my corporate world, that's what we do on a very regular basis. And when you say story and, and tell the tale, some listeners might think, okay, it has to be once upon a time. It has to be the, it has to be the hero's journey. It, is that the case necessarily? Or how do you see story in relation to those things? It's absolutely not uh, something that must be those. I'll tell you a quick story to paint the picture. One of our clients, and I was just working with them almost uh, immediately before we hopped on this. Um, so it's top of mind. It's a technology firm in Chicago. Uh, one of those innovative, disruptive firms that, you know, does everything from AI to um, cloud-based, you name it, all those big technolo technology things. And we were making a point that sometimes 
change is forced upon us. And we crafted a narrative that was revolving around Tabasco, you know, the sauce. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Tabasco is, it's an, it's entire uh, inception. It's always been on this little Island uh, called Avery Island. It's on the, on the coast of Louisiana and it's washing away quite literally. The, the sea is taking the, the square footage of Island and making it go away. Mm-hmm. And so Tabasco has no choice. They are forced to change because quite literally the ground under their feet is going away. We crafted a parallel using the notion of Tabasco and how they've got to shift gears with a technology company and what their clients need to do that change is sometimes forced. And so by no means does it need to be once upon a time or hero's journey. Sometimes it's just a parallel, a narrative that people go, Oh, I understand. Mm -hmm. Now I can adopt the idea of an Island that's washing away with this notion of changing for the sake of technology. Yeah. Hopefully that made sense. Yeah, absolutely. I, yeah, I like the idea of um, of parallels to to see ourselves in that, which which could be a hero's journey type thing where you're. It could be. You know, but it's it's seeing ourselves. That's really good, Ryan. Um, yeah, I'm gonna. I, by the way, that's a little tease because uh, I'm already knee deep and working on my second book, and it's going to be the working title. Of course, this will likely change with my <laughs> publisher, but it's uh, right now called Parallel Paths. Oh, I like that. Parallel paths. Yeah. Um, but I like, I, I, when I looked, saw your book, your current book too, I, I thought stand for something, man, that's great. So you've got Thanks. some, you've got some good away with words, man. <laughs> you know, my title is a uh, founder and chief word guy. And so people always laugh at that, but it's a big deal to me. Yeah. I, I love that. Um, so why do you think that it's so difficult for these big brands that you work with? And I saw like on the website, you've got brands like, like Stryker. Uh, that's in, in, in my hometown. So I'm, I'm familiar. Um, big brands like McDonald's. What is it about story that kind of seems to baffle them where they need, like, where they need you, Brian Burkhart, or they need Square Planet, or they need that help? It would seem like they would just get it. Yeah. Uh, I actually think that they are starting to. So that's the good news. You know, mm-hmm. rising tides lift all boats. However, yeah. This is predominantly in, the, predominantly in the world of corporate, but of course, I think it absolutely is a human thing more than anything. And that is, we're all guilty of this. We're all certainly not immune to the notion, um, but I think people don't want to be judged poorly. And so it's often, uh, and perhaps counterintuitive, but people often will do things that are safer. And if they use bigger words, go more towards what and how versus why, get a little less effusive and colorful in language, it just can make them seem more professional and in many ways smarter, which seems to be the safer path. The crazy thing is for so many people that are listening to your podcast here, I know that we have all sat through a variety of presentations. We have seen people, met people, uh, even experienced things. And I know it's going to seem weird, but could be great movies, awesome TV shows, live theater, like Cirque du Soleil or big concerts, you name it. The more outlandish, the more uh, unusual, the more colorful, and it could certainly be, and I do mean actual color, could be language that could be more colorful. Those are the things we remember. Those are the things that we gravitate towards. And so it is counterintuitive in the world of corporate to say, let's just follow that well-worn path. That's the safe thing. It won't make us look bad. And yet what we all want is to look great. We want to stand out. We want to be recognized as a thought leader or a leader. We want to be the person that people go to. And so it is this odd notion of let me do something benign, safe, vanilla, and think of me in a really special way. Well, it doesn't work. 
You mm-hmm. got to step up a little bit. You got to step out. And those organizations and individuals within it that embrace that notion of story in all of its forms are typically the ones that we remember and the ones we love. And so it is a very strange dichotomy. And I'll tell you, um, it's not necessarily organizational. I think it's individual. I've got plenty of clients within big, huge brands that are boring and safe. I mean, like stoic brands, think Northern Trust Bank, about as boring as it gets. But there are a few individuals within there who really do love the notion of like, let me step out, let me be something. Let my peacock, if you will, uh, fully unfurl and see my feathers. I mean, it's real. And often that can go in the form of a really great story. I love, yeah, that's, that's incredible. Um, so as, as I'm thinking about all these things that you do and, um, in your bio, I saw that you were a, an adjunct professor, uh, adjunct le- lecturer at Northwestern university. Yeah. You know what? Uh, if I say professor, they find me and beat me because right? lecturer is like scrub, you know, I'm right? bottom of the barrel. No professor here. <laughs> right. Um, so as a, as a lecturer, uh, as a speaker, do you find the story also, I mean, this might be a softball question, but like how important is story when it comes to reaching students even today in 2019, 2020? Is that still like just even more important than it ever has been? It is absolutely more important. Um, I'm very lucky that the work I do at Northwestern, as you could guess just by the affiliation, it's a heck of a school. I mean, these are amazing students, right? And I work on a, a program that's got five graduate disciplines. So they're all graduate students. And I mean, think things like engineering school, law school, school of medicine. These are the smartest kids of the smartest kids. This is like the half of the 1%, right? And so um, the stuff that I get to do with them is pretty cool, but I have realized that they are being pulled in a thousand directions. Most of them have jobs. Most of them have families. Most of them have graduate school. And so just the sheer volume of stuff that they manage is real. And yet somehow, some way, I've been able to kind of have a little bit of a thing. I, I can tell you a quick story. This is not me breaking my arm as I pat myself on the back. It's just an answer to your story. Yeah. Um, there were all of these big dudes. I mean, like guys that were worth quite literally hundreds of millions of dollars that were there to help all these graduate students create these uh, entrepreneurial ventures, right? And I'm there as like the pitch guy because I've had a bunch of teams on Shark Tank and I've had quite literally thousands of startups go through me to do pitch competitions and that kind of thing. And that's kind of my job at Northwestern. Well, they're introducing all these big, huge dudes. They get to me and the students are like, woo, Brian. It's because my stuff's fun. My stuff's memorable. I make it interesting and engaging. I use stories and parallels and cool narratives to bring the point home, which is, of course, the work we do every day. So for me, it's easy. But you want to have a bunch of guys give you a dirty look. Be the one in the room that nobody knows, but get kind of the ovation. So, yeah, it makes a big difference. That's fun. Big difference. So you you said these students are engineers, maybe a medical, you know, I can see where story would play a part for an attorney. They need to be able to tell a story, especially if it's an attorney in court or in front of a judge. How, how does story play a part in in careers like engineers and other like academia or like like those kinds of careers, you know? Uh, Such a great question. I really appreciate you asking because I think this is sort of the, the, uh, notion that somehow, some way, this is only for the creative arts, that this is for a certain type of people. Mm-hmm. And I think that's just a complete and total false narrative. The reality is, is that all of us as humans have no choice 
but to communicate. And it could be through just simple email or text. It could be live one-on-one. -on -one. It could be live one to a thousand. It could be a small internal group, whatever it is. We have no choice. We have to communicate. And so I always talk about that the work that I do is often for leaders. Leaders are the tops of organizations. They tell the story of that company, whether it's sales, CEO, you name it. But also those that can communicate really effectively often are put into a position of leadership. Mm -hmm. And so the work that I do, the, the development of story and the skills to transmit those stories effectively, it's really about leadership. It's not about just being creative or being in the marketing department. No, it's about being a leader. And the truth of the matter is even a bunch of engineers have to communicate with one another to get their points across, uh, to be able to effectively work as a team, to do any number of things. And you need leaders in those kind of positions. So for me, I've always said for a long time, this is not about telling uh, child's stories or children's stories. That's a bad word choice there. This is about really communicating in a way that leads people. And it's a difference that uh, is real. It's, it's very nuanced, but it's real. Yeah, absolutely. And is, that, is casting the vision a part of that? Yeah. Like I've heard I, that used. Uh, for sure. I, I think that in, in many ways, I want people to see the big picture. I want them to understand that it's um, so much more science-based than they think. And so casting a vision, knowing what you believe, knowing the things you stand for, that really helps galvanize people around a cause. And so, yeah, it's a big deal. All right. So speaking of stand for, um, I, I want to go back to your book, Stand for Something. Uh, it's interesting to me in recent years how being, as you call it, herd above the herd has to come down to knowing like your core values, your core mission, what you believe in, your why, as Simon Sinek says. Uh, what is your, I just want to kind of hear your take on some of this lately. When, when, when companies like, let's say Nike, uh, really polarize themselves, it, you know, whether, whether you, you love what they did or not, but, you know, back in Colin Kaepernick, that was a huge move. That was gutsy. Uh, other companies have done the same thing. I've, you know, we've seen it with maybe companies supporting military and maybe not everybody loves military and, and whatever. What is just kind of your take on where we are in that, in that world right now? Are we early on in that cause marketing, knowing your core values thing, or has this kind of been going on for a while? Uh, I think the answer is yes. <laughs> I, I think it's been going on for a long, long time, whether people had a word for it or not. There have always been a, a, a few that have understood, even if it was, without being able to pinpoint it. They just kind of had uh, an, an innate feel for it. And then as this has become more and more uh, well-known and, and declassified, if you will, uh, marketers are starting to understand that this is really the way to build brand loyalty. And then you add in some of the other outside factors like things, um, you know, a good example would be the organization Conscious Capitalism. There are a variety of of organizations out there that are promoting a certain ethos. And in many, many ways, that means sharing with the world what it is that you stand for. And that means you gotta create or at least uh, figure out what it is that your firm's all about. You know, companies like, like Nike that, that followed uh, a really strong sense of belief and purpose and did things like Colin Kaepernick, I give them all the credit in the world. And again, you don't have to believe what they believe. You don't have to agree with them. I think what they did though, is they put a line in the sand and they said, this is what we're all about. And we don't need all the business. We don't need to sell shoes to everyone. We just need to sell shoes to those that believe what we believe. Mm -hmm. And that's enough. 
And it really is, you know, for a, a company like Nike, that's an awful lot of people. Like mm -hmm. it didn't hurt them financially to pick a side. You know what no, I mean? Quite the opposite. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But for most organizations and really for individuals out there, um, I think people really do think this stuff uh, is not a big deal until they dive into it. And then all of a sudden it can, it can change everything. Even for my firm, we have a small group here. I mean, I've got nine people, eight people, nine people, eight, I don't even know. Um, and the funny thing is, is that I look for people that make waves. Our core belief as a firm is to make waves. And that means we want people that cause a little trouble, that look at things with a bit of a new lens. So I want people that take the world for what it is and say, why? Doesn't, why? why? Maybe it should be a different way. Mm -hmm. Those are my people. And if I didn't have that core belief really well figured out, really well put together and codified, I might find the wrong type of clients, the wrong kind of associates, the wrong kind of vendors. And so it matters in so, so many ways. And people really are. They're starting to get it. And it, and it kind of feels like, tell me if I'm, I'm on the right track here. It kind of feels like we're to the point in the world where for a long time, you could kind of maybe like, like a hundred years ago, you could choose who you worked with, or maybe you couldn't because you're kind of stuck, I think in your hometown, but now we're to the point where you can choose who you work with, who you can take on as a client. You're not, you're not kind of stuck with, well, I just have to make money. Like we're beginning to have more choices. Is, is that kind of new too, do you think? Have you seen Absolutely. that? Absolutely. Yeah. A thousand percent. The world is a small place. Mm -hmm. Let me say that again. The world is a small place. Here we are in Phoenix. We have a grand total of one Phoenix-based client. One. Mm. And so everything I do, it's about finding people that believe the same things. And so when mm. we scream our beliefs loudly, I'm going to attract a certain kind of client base. And with things like, I mean, look at us. We're doing this podcast. We are 1,500 miles apart, and yet it's like we're right next to next to each other. Yeah. So it's a small place. Yeah, technology is cool. Now, do you think do you think that standing for something is something is is a choice that a business has to make nowadays, or is it like, well, that's good for some people, but my little small business, I don't have to do that. I can just keep doing my business. Like, is it is it becoming table stakes now? Uh, I believe that it's one of those kind of things that it's got so much more depth than people think. Mm -hmm. uh, I'll, let's just play this out a little bit. Mm -hmm. So if a, let's even use like a really local, hyper local small business. Let's use a dry cleaner. Mm -hmm. If a dry cleaner that absolutely sells a commodity, you drop off your stuff, you get it back in a bag, everyone wins. It's just simple transaction. If that dry cleaner had a core belief that said something like, we believe in ridiculous, over the top, you won't believe how incredible it is, customer service, that would be a core belief that they could actually do a lot with. I mean, from opening the door when you walk in to uh, having some kind of certain greeting, maybe giving you a mint as you leave, walking the clothes out and hanging them in your back seat for you, picking up and delivering directly to your house, whatever it is, there are a billion ways they could manifest that core belief around customer service. If they simply said, we're just a laundromat, they're now gonna compete on nothing. They're gonna be like every other laundromat. So to differentiate, to really stand out, to rise above the rest, to be heard among the herd, thank right. you for that, by the way, uh, they have to find that true authentic core belief and live it to its fullest. And so, I mean, that might seem like table stakes, like, eh, I don't have to do it much, it's just a dry cleaner. Well, I disagree. I think if you want people's business, you have to figure out what it is you're all about. You got to stand for something and, and tell that story. And it doesn't, it doesn't have to be, uh, 
a cause, what I heard you say, Brian, is that it can be something like ridiculous customer service. Yeah. So it doesn't have to be necessarily like draw a line in the sand where we're going to offend people. That's what some people are worried about, right? Um, I use air quotes for those listening. Uh, it can just be what differentiates you. I mean, that's interesting. I think that is what it absolutely should be. Yeah. It's really not. You're, uh, I said this in, in my book and I did it in a couple different spots where I said, look, I'm not trying to pick fights. Yeah. I'm just simply trying to find the thing that's already authentically there. It's part of the origin of that business. And like Michelangelo did with the David, he just chipped away to reveal what was inside the marble, right? Mm -hmm. And so if there is a, 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 let's, you know, we'll stick with this dry cleaner. If there's a dry cleaner who says, I don't care about customer service, I'll be mean to people even, but I guarantee you I can get every spot out no matter what. I am the best dry cleaner. Okay. Well, for some people, they don't need someone to give them a mint at a dry cleaner, open the door for them. They just want their clothes to be really clean. All right. Well, then that's the one they're going to go to. And so if you know what your core belief is, it really becomes the filter of how you operate, the people you hire, the way you do your work, the type of service you provide. And that's not controversial. That's not being mean or political. That's just saying, I believe in really clean clothes or really great customer service or something totally different. Mm -hmm. it's, it's not a fight. It's just your origins being fully manifested. Yeah. Interesting. So Brian, what is it that, that you love to your core uh, about telling stories? Um, there's a lot. So much? That's a great, <laughs> that, that's a question that I'm, you know, I, I might need to sit down with my wife after this, who's a psychotherapist to help me out. Uh -huh. um, <laughs> I, I, I'll tell you I, what I realized and this is a little bit back to that story of being in fifth grade. Um, you know, the, the reason we do the things we do, very Simon Sinek of us, is because it, it, when we're really good at something, it feels good, right? Like, I like being an expert in something. I like being able to move people. I like being able to watch that light bulb go on for audiences. Um, it makes me feel like I'm not a complete hack and uh, a capable leader and someone that people should listen to. And so it's a very selfish thing um, and I get it, but I can also tell you that we all are guilty of such a thing. I mean, I don't care if you're a CPA or an actuary or a fighter fire or whatever it is, you know, we do it for ourselves. Mm -hmm. And so the reason I do all this stuff is because I really deeply like to help people. Um, you know, our curse is our gift. I could clearly talk my way out of a wet paper bag. Uh, but the truth of the matter is it gets me in trouble sometimes too, right? And so for me, I get to do the thing that comes real natural, feels real good to help people. Um, and ultimately, it just makes me feel like a, a, a better, complete person. So it's really easy for you. So I imagine there's no challenges. Um, <laughs> what? Tons of challenges, actually. Right. Yeah. So, what, so what is one of your biggest challenges then when it comes to storytelling and what you do? Um, I would, this is a good, another good question. I, I think the biggest thing that really becomes a challenge in my world is getting those that I work with to understand the power of this and to fully adopt. Um, it's a terrible, terrible little phrase, so please forgive this, but I always say you can't be half pregnant. Um, I've had a lot of clients, had one last week, um, that they just really aren't willing to go all in. And the way that I say this is something along the lines of, I have spent way too many hours on airplanes. I don't know how many hundreds of thousands of miles I have logged on airplanes. And there is a grand total of zero times, zero, that I have stuck my head in the cockpit and told the pilots how to fly the plane. 
Just because I go on an airplane a lot doesn't mean I know how to fly it. And for some reason in my world, in this world of corporate storytelling, people think they know better and they don't. They think they, I hear this all the time. Well, our audience is different. No, your audience is not. <laughs> they are not. And so my biggest pain point, my biggest headache, the thing that is the hardest for me is getting my clients to fully commit, to fully buy in, to truly do it the way that it's been built. And so we'll create things that frankly are really, really great and we'll hand them over to clients and it won't work as well as it should because they're not holding their end of the bargain up. Mm -hmm. That's easily my biggest struggle with storytelling yeah. by far. Isn't it funny? So I'm just going to sound like a, a complete whiner here. Isn't it funny that is like, I love to write and I love to create things and, and, and I'm a marketer at heart and professionally. And it's funny because everybody thinks they're a marketer. Yeah. They everybody sure thinks, everybody thinks they're a storyteller. They're like, well, I would do it this way. Okay. Well, this is how we're doing it. It's, it's just funny. Um, I, I, actually, I, work, I, I use this when, when that happens. And I say, okay, that's fine. You, you can tell me I'm wrong, but I wouldn't tell Aristotle and Plato and Socrates that they're wrong because that's what we're using. We're using their methods. There you go. You, you want to tell Aristotle he's wrong? Go ahead. Yeah. Just yeah. framing it for 2019. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It, it happens, unfortunately. I, I work with nonprofits as a volunteer occasionally, and, and I love working with them. But when you get a committee of people together, that's when you're like, oh, so I can totally feel your pain on that. Yeah. I like to bring the velvet hammer out from time to time. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it comes from a place of real love. I actually have a ton of empathy and want to help. And mm -hmm. I'm not money motivated. I'm truly one of those guys. That's, it's about helping people. That makes me feel better about everything, including myself. And so I'll get in those kind of situations. And if it's a committee, I have no problem swinging a big, heavy hammer. It is coated in velvet. It's got a lot of love, yeah. but I will give them the true unbiased, unvarnished feedback that they often need. Yeah. So, I want to know you, you obviously, man, you're obviously a storyteller uh, and you do this professionally. Where does that inspiration come from though? How do you on a day-to-day -day basis find your inspiration and keep moving forward with these things, whether it's the clients that frustrate you or whether it's the book that you're writing, where does that come from for, for Brian Burkhart? Uh, it comes, you know, incredible place. And I hope everyone that hears this not only just believes me, but more than anything, they do it themselves. I will tell you, and I mean this, Daniel, the number one thing I have in the world, number one, is gratitude. Mm. My level of gratitude is so off the charts. And so I am ridiculously thankful. And I'm not talking about stuff. Yeah, I have a nice house and a nice car and a nice office and a nice business. Yeah, I don't care. It's just stuff. I, I mean, I'm grateful for things like this morning, I put in my contact lenses and now I can see. Like, mm. I'm grateful for all kinds of things. When you come from a place of gratitude, everything changes. And so the work that I get to do is not a task. Having my afternoon spent with a guy like you for an hour is not a task or a problem. It's an amazing opportunity. My level of gratitude is so off the charts. So every day when I walk into my office and I work with my team, I'm grateful to have them. I'm grateful to be there. I'm grateful to serve our clients. When I get on stage and talk to a group of people, whether it's a hundred or a thousand, I'm grateful for them to make a choice to be with me, to listen to my thoughts, to listen to my ideas. I'm grateful. Mm -hmm. And so over and over and over again, that notion of an opportunity presenting itself and having a ton of gratitude around it, it's by far the thing that motivates me. And it just, it's ever flowing, never ending. It is infinite and it's incredible. And does that help you kind of, uh, be open to stories happening to those parallels happening that you're just 
in this positive headspace and heart space where you can see them coming at you? I think it's probably multifaceted. It's certainly that. Uh, it's also because we do it for a living. Our radar is really high. And mm. so even things like, I mean, I, you know, I don't mind saying this. It's stuff like we have a, a little system. It's called a story bank. This is a fully internal thing. We use uh, an on uh, in the cloud kind of based server thing. It's a Google thing, nothing crazy. And whether I'm surfing news feeds, uh, something runs across my desk, whatever it is. Ooh, that's a cool story. Put in the story bank. Um, stuff like that Tabasco thing. I read uh, in the Guardian online newspaper about how uh, Mickelhoney, that's the name of the parent company of Tabasco, mm. was forced to start looking for a new headquarters. At no point did it make a parallel about technology, but I thought that's an intriguing story. And I tag it, drag it, drop it, put it in a document, throw it on our story bank. And mm. when the time comes, it's like, aha, I know just the thing. And so gratitude is definitely a part of it because it keeps me in a position of of being open to things, but it's also just simply putting the radar up and having a process in place to capture and store those things. A process and intentionality. That's good. Yeah. Cause it isn't always about just being creative and like, Hey, I told a once upon a time in the end story, it's being intentional about why I'm doing it and where it comes from. And that's and really don't, good. And don't forget the repeatable process part. Yeah. Uh, one of the ways that we make money around here, uh, which there are six specific ways. This is the sixth way. Uh, we call it engineered delight. Mm. It's the notion that we can help our clients figure out ways to delight those in their world, whether it's associates internally, potential clients, current clients, whatever. And we do all kinds of fun things. Um, but it's one of those things that when we do engineered delight to our people, to our clients, we have stuff. Like if you go to our storage closet room thing, you'll find all kinds of cool custom square planet boxes and we've got some tchotchkes and we've got labels and packaging material and all that kind of stuff. So that if I want to send someone something, like if you just had a baby and I wanted to send you a gift, it's not, Oh, we got to go find a box or we got to find wrapping paper. No, it's all right there. Mm. You, got, you got to make it easy. And so things like having a place and a process in place to capture stories, you have to have that framework. Otherwise you're reinventing the wheel every time and it gets too cumbersome and onerous and people won't do it. So build processes in place to make it easy. Mm, that's good. Educational, my friend. Uh, Thank you, sir. I'm here for you. <laughs> that's right. So Brian, you've talked a lot about how kind of like how to get our stories out, right? Be, uh, you know, have it be repeatable, uh, have it be scalable, be open yep. to telling stories. Uh, but if I'm, if I'm a, a a storyteller who's just starting out, whether I'm in marketing, whether I'm an entrepreneur trying to do this, uh, whatever I am, or I'm writing a book maybe to help others, right? How am I supposed to get that story out there today in such a crowded, crowded world? Yeah. I wish I knew the good answer for you because I'm <laughs> doing the same thing myself. Um, yeah. I would say a first and foremost, don't stop. The number one thing in my mind, number one is just straight old perseverance. Um, you know, I live in Arizona now, just a few hours away is the Grand Canyon. Anyone that takes a visit to a place like the Grand Canyon will realize that that was not built in a day. Mm. That, that took some doing, right? Mm -hmm. And anything worth doing probably takes some blood, sweat, and tears and some time. And so for me, I would say just don't stop. The other thing is there's a, another sort of leg to that. Uh, I had a, a guy that worked for me who um, was perhaps the most influential employee I've ever had. We are still very close friends. He's an incredible guy. His name is Max. And uh, Max wanted to be a writer. 
and coming out of school, he couldn't get a job as a writer. And so he ended up working at a logistics firm, which really means truckloads of stuff. In his case, it was Pepsi. His job was responsible for getting, you know, cases of Pepsi across the country, which is about as far from writing as you could get. <laughs> and so what did Max do? He bought a domain and started writing and built a blog. And he essentially kept his knife sharp by working on his craft in his time. And so if you're a storyteller, but you can't quite find that first break or second or third or 10th break, don't stop, do your craft. And I think that whole notion of perseverance and almost taking uh, no as an answer will ultimately pay off in the end. So I guess that's perhaps lousy advice, but I feel old and I kind of am. And so I think that one's fairly real. I think so too. Well, I think, you know, it's, I mean, Gary V talks, Gary Vaynerchuk talks about it. Um, Others do talk about it too. You, you just have to keep going. It's not about being the best or the smartest necessarily. It's almost, it's almost like the Pete Rose strategy of baseball. Just keep swinging. Just keep practicing. Just keep doing it. Right? You're showing your age there, Daniel. Pete Rose. I mean, well, even if you said Tony Gwynn, people might. He's dead too. Uh, I mean, oh, Pete man, Rose is right. alive, but uh, Ichiro, how's that? There you go. There you go. Yeah, Tony Gwynn. I saw him uh, right after he got his three thousandth hit. I was living in San Diego at the time, and so that was that's actually yeah that does date me a little bit anyway. <laughs> um, but yeah, that no, that's good advice. I think. I mean, I, and and I think, Matt, I don't I don't know that it's a if you build it, they will come. If you write it, they will read it but it's definitely just keep doing it. Keep doing it. Right. Yeah. It's amazing too. Um, it's kind of crazy, but uh, Ashton Kutcher has a twin brother. His name is Michael. He's one of our clients. And we worked on a presentation for Michael um, that had basically this tease that you almost throughout the whole thing. And you would never know that they're twin brothers, twin brothers. And you would never, ever know. Michael had a heart transplant. He's got, uh, cerebral palsy. They look nothing alike. I mean, you would never know. And the presentation that we built for him, kind of a TED talk, ultimately talked about uh, his brother, his brother, his brother, his brother, Chris, which is Ashton's real name. Mm. And in the presentation, we used a clip of Ashton at the um, Video Music Awards for MTV. And in that, really, believe it or not, a smart guy, Ashton says something like, uh, luck looks an awful lot like hard work. Mm. And he says things like, I, I never uh, quit a job uh, until I had the, the next better job. And the, all these interesting moments. And for a guy that you don't necessarily think of in that sense, it was a really compelling, really intellectual speech. You can find it on YouTube. But Michael built that into his presentation. And it revealed, that's my brother. And people are like, oh, my goodness, your brother's Ashton Kutcher is crazy. Yeah. But I, I always found those words to actually be quite uh, profound, of, you know, just keep going and hard, hard work and luck look an awful lot alike. It's just that simple. Yes, they do. Uh, so that's, man, that's incredible. There again, another way to tell the story, right? Yeah. So much, so much fun, Brian. It was a uh, cool presentation. I can tell you that. Yeah. So do you do that a lot for, for clients then too? I mean, I know your website says presentations and strategy is yeah. presentations a lot of what you do then. It's a big part of it. Um, yeah. I would say that, you know, again, I said earlier, there are six ways that we make money. The biggest way, the number one is what we call event creative. So we do these big, large conferences. So we, we create the look, the feel, the theme, the talk track for large meetings and events, uh, you know, very corporate stuff. Think healthcare, technology, financial services, et cetera. Mm-hmm. The, the next 
uh, the next step down of those six, the fifth of the six things, or I should really say the second of the six things are these big keynote presentations. And so if you're the CEO of an organization or you're doing a TED talk or you're going to speak in an industry conference or something like that, we'll help build out that entire narrative, teach you to stand and deliver it, design all your visuals. Um, those big boy presentations, they are a thing. It's estimated that about 30 million presentations happen in North America every day in corporate America. Every 30 day? million a day. Most of those are small internal kind of things. There's a decent portion of them that are very much presentations that matter. That's what we call the big boys. Uh -huh. and, and we all, all of us, me too, have blind spots. And so what my job is, what my team's job is, is to help people take those presentations that matter, those moments, and really elevate them, make them really amazing. And so yeah. that's, a, that's a big part of what we do. It's a little bit of coaching. You talk about blind spots. We, we need to be coachable. Oh, yeah. How, how interesting to me that you as a storyteller, you go from that fifth grade young, young boy, young man, to, to this moment where you're creating these presentations. You're working with you know, Mr. Kutcher. You're working with these CEOs and founders and everybody. Like what a what a great journey that must be to look back on. Oh, it's and something I'll tell you. That's incredible. And so, so like for those storytellers that are listening, if you're young, like there's there's a whole world out there besides just writing in your journal. <laughs> well, like that's incredible. My path is, of course, circuitous. I mean, I, I'll, I'll tell you that where it all really came together. Yeah is I spent a, a bunch of years as a video producer, a multimedia producer. Mm -hmm. And so my job was to be behind the camera and I would work with those on camera to get their corporate story out. Mm -hmm. And I found myself saying, hey, Daniel, say this. Hey, Bob, say this. And what I was doing, I didn't realize it, but going back to baseball, is I was in the batting cage. Mm -hmm. I was getting my swings in. I was getting my 10,000 hours in. Mm -hmm. And then it all kind of came together. I was actually in San Diego at a, at a, a conference at the Del Coronado Hotel. It was uh, the chief medical officer of one of the most prestigious hospitals, quite literally on the planet, top doc at this unbelievably well-known, hugely respected hospital. And if there were 10 things to get wrong in a presentation, he did 12 of them. It was unbelievable. Oh. Oh, it, was, no. it was so bad. So bad. And so I was a worker bee. I was in the front row. We were collecting video stuff for this. And I was like, I am done after about three minutes of this guy being so terrible. And I get up from the front row. And as I walk to the back of the room, maybe 500 people in the audience, I saw three attendees, name badges on, who had made a conscious decision to get out of their seats and put themselves on the floor and take a nap during this presentation. So here's the top doc, the keynote with name badges on. These people said, eh, time for a snooze. Wow. And it was like that moment. It was the proverbial light bulb moment. And I said, I got to help this. I got to do something about this. I got to help these people. And I knew right then that my skills as a behind the scenes video guy, helping people coach uh, their words in that genre could easily be translated to this more live presentation thing. And then I dove into it in a huge way and ultimately completely shifted gears, changed my company altogether. Everything shifted and I became a real student of the game. Um, but I mean, I had no intent uh, as, I mean, I was a full fledged, uh, married adult and it was that kind of a big career trajectory twist that just kind of happened. And it was, you know, I, I would tell all your young storytellers, do not give up, keep working your craft. You'll be surprised what twists and turns await.
So did you ever end up working with that doc to make his future presentations better? You know, I actually learned a great lesson, um, not from that doc, but from another one. So that was, this is a, a heck of a lesson. Um, maybe the most important thing we've talked about today. So uh, I immediately got work from that same client to help in this exact arena. As soon as I told them that I saw something and they said, yeah, there's a huge need. And I got put in a position uh, to do some additional video work with this client. And I was working with this guy who was being videotaped giving a presentation. But at no point was it uh, my job. I was not contracted for this, nor did he expect to be critiqued by me. Mm. And so this guy did his thing and I jump in and start offering a variety of pieces of advice. And he essentially <laughs> had every desire to kill me right then and there. Sure. I, I did not handle that well. He, of course, did not invite criticism that I just heaped on him. And I heard very loudly from my client, like, WTF, what are you doing? Mm. I way overstepped my, the bounds there of that relationship. And what I learned is, especially in the work that I do, if someone is uh, not inviting that feedback, if they're not open to, to listening and to being counseled and to having really actionable, loving feedback, then no matter how right I might be, I am wholly wrong. And so it has ultimately shifted big time how we do what we do. And so that was a very big lesson. And, uh, you know, it's real. It's the kind of thing even... Um, you know, I told you my wife is a therapist and there are many times that she'll tell me things. She might be right, but I didn't necessarily ask her to give me that info. <laughs> Amen. Yeah. <laughs> That's why whenever my wife starts telling me a story, I ask her, okay, you want me to fix this or feel it? Because, <laughs> you know, that's, uh, yeah. That's, yep. that's great advice, yep. Brian. That is absolutely golden advice. Listeners have to pause, rewind, listen to that again. Uh, great stuff there. What I would a great lesson. Say, yeah. yeah. Don't, don't uh, get that wrong because... I've already done it. Let me take the hits for you, folks. I mean, believe me, that that was a yucky couple of days. Yeah, I'm sure. I, I heard it from my clients. Yeah. Brian, this has been absolutely incredible, man. Thank you so much for this time today. I'm going to get to my last question here in a minute, but before I do, I'm listening. I want to make sure people <laughs> I want to make sure people have a chance to connect with you. I'm going to put links in the show notes, social media, that kind of stuff. But where do you send people for the best place to connect with you? There's a couple spots. The first and easiest one is just my main company, which is called Square Planet. I want you to think round earth. So just go to squareplanet.com. The other one is my book site where it will link you to Amazon to buy my book, to see some videos and learn some stuff. And that is standforyourbeliefs.com. And the word for is uh, not the number. Standforyourbeliefs.com. Excellent. All right. We'll link to those. I'll make sure I get that one too, because I didn't see that one yet, but I'll make sure that's there. Um, so Brian, if someone were to tell you tonight that you can no longer tell stories tomorrow, you can no longer be a storyteller, what would your last story be that you'd want to go out on? Mm. I would do this. Um, I, I, I will tell you that I'm not good at religion. It's not something that moves me, compels me as part of my world. And don't hold that against me for those that are. It's just me. I but I would also tell you that my favorite song uh, above all else is the little drummer boy. Mm. And if anyone knows that story, it's a Christmas song typically, but in that song, here's this poor little boy who's got nothing. And yet he has been made aware that the King of Kings has just been born. And so people far and wide are bringing gifts to the new King and he wants to do such a thing, but he says, I'm poor. I have nothing. I have nothing to give. 
And uh, eventually he lands on the idea that the only thing he can do is he can play his drum. That's the one thing he can do. And so as the story goes, he, he, he played some drums and the little king was quite pleased. Mm-hmm. And I'm very much, um, you know, truncating that, that song. But the notion there is so powerful to me. And it's really, it's give your gifts. Um, we all have something. And as storytellers, we have a certain thing that so many people don't. And uh, don't let failure discourage you. Don't let success get to your head. Don't let people tell you that you can't. Just do your thing. Give your gifts. And there will be someone, somewhere, somehow that responds. There's enough for everyone. Give your gifts. That's the story I would tell. Boy, for not, for not doing religion well, you really nailed it. <laughs> share, <laughs> your, share your talents. Use your talents. Give your gifts, man. That's, that's, that's God in a, in a nutshell there, I think. Um, that's good. And that's funny because that's one of my, one of my favorite, if not, if not the favorite for me, uh, Christmas Carol. I'm not really entirely sure why other than I can hear my grandfather singing it. So uh, that's, that's funny that that comes up. Well, you know, yeah. podcasts are never supposed to be uh, t- date and time stamped. And so I won't tell anyone when we're recording this, but <laughs> when Christmas rolls around, Daniel, think of me when you hear it. Absolutely. You All right, it, deal. Awesome, Brian. This has been incredible. Thank you so much for your time today, Brian. Uh, thanks for being a storyteller, man. It is my pleasure. And I wish everyone a really, really, really great, successful career and long, lots of happiness and safety. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Once again, thank you so much, Brian Burkhart, for being on the show. You can connect with him at the links in the show notes that he mentioned and others. Uh, If you enjoyed this episode and got something out of it, please consider sharing it with someone, maybe someone that you think should uh, talk to Brian, give him this episode, tell him to listen, and maybe listen to some more. That'd be great. Text it, email it, social media it, whatever way you want to share it. I really appreciate it. And by the way, uh, if you really enjoyed it, feel free to go to the contact page on the storytellersnetwork.com, shoot me an email, and uh, make sure you subscribe there as well to the emails. I send those out about every two weeks or so. So there you go. Hey, listen, thank you for listening. And until next time, here's to telling our stories and having those stories to tell. Cheers. Thank you.